now. What's up, man? Life is good. Cannot complain. I mean, I could complain, but then my life would start point? sucking more. Because it's like it's the type of life where you have to actively stay positive and motivated. Do your best. Exactly. Do your best. It's only as good as tomorrow. I've heard that before. Uh, so in one sense, I always stay motivated, but in another sense, I'm always chasing the dream, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's inspiring to see you got a lot going on, a lot you're working on. Well, we just got the FDA approval in. That's a big achievement. Uh, so, you know. It's good, man. Feather in your cap. Keep going. Feather in the cap, you know, now just try to work with the product and make sure, you know, it's a diagnostic device, so doctors will use it to make diagnosis of seizures or dementia disorders or symptoms so people will be very thankful whether they realize you had a hand in it or not yeah but at the other end there's always false positives and you know wrong diagnosis that could be made so i want to make sure that anything that i'm putting my name behind or you know if i'm going to shake some doctor's hand and be like you know best of luck i want to make sure they have a quality product so just ironing out a few kinks, but you know things are good. It's what about you? What's, what's going right. on? Making some music, some some homies, one of whom you went to uh, to school with. Um, pretty excited about it. There's a lot a lot of question marks about what it's gonna look like in its final form, but it's my passion, man. You know, it's one of the magical things in life, the music. So can't lose sight of that. Very nice. Here we have another conversation to uh, embark on. Another we do. Ju- another journey to explore. It's a round two of our discussion on current events and modern culture. Uh, Rainy Thursday in Midtown Manhattan. We're here, up 205 East 42nd Street. Birthplace shout of... Shout out to WeWork. Shout out to WeWork, all $120 billion. Goddamn. It's a fast it? story. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Not 120. 20 million, or like $27 billion. It's growing fast. Growing real fast. Got a little ahead of myself there. Maybe someday. I'm thinking more like Intel buyout that's happening right You're now. looking into the future and yeah. pulling, pulling out the valuation. I mean, there's only, only so many people you can stuff into a commercial yeah. building with glass doors and the, windows. Yeah, well, you know, as they expand globally, who knows what they could do. Oh, they're already expanding. They're like in seven countries. Only uh, 190 more to go. Sorry, I meant seven continents. Oh, seven continents. Yeah. Trying to get that igloo, igloo space in Antarctica. Well, that's like the one place that ants haven't been able to invade yet, so that would be quite the feat. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, essentially ants are in like every type of climate, atmosphere, except for like Antarctica and some other like really extreme places. That makes sense resilient little fuckers or maybe it's because no one's taken ants over there yet you know like ants haven't yeah. hopped a ride over from a boat yet yeah. over there yeah there's not a lot of traffic to and from you know we've got global warming so you know you might see more ants there soon it's like 80 degrees yesterday can you imagine ants just chilling in Antarctica making it their paradise to be honest there might be some frozen ants from like 60 million oh, years ago is, that yeah, are yeah, just yeah. frozen still just waiting to thaw out and get back at it <laughs> I'm talking like giant ants, like yeah, six yeah. feet ants just like chilling right now. That would be fucking from, from the Jurassic Age style with wings. Whew. Well, you know, they say once 
if and when a nuclear holocaust strikes us all out, the insects will survive and thrive and grow to sizes that we enjoy today. You know, six feet long, six feet high, shit like that. Cockroaches. It's a crazy world, man. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be sleeping. Well, you you'll be uh, your your body will have recomposed itself into one of these beings. That's the hope, man. Energy's got to disperse somewhere, it's, right? It's all recycled, man. It's a nice dream to live to. Bring it back to today. All right, man. So we, we got, got some topics. yeah, we got some topics. We got three main topics, and I think we'll center most of our conversation around these three topics. Let's do that. Uh, you know, we'll stick to the order here. I guess the first topic is, is the existing model of higher education sustainable? Very important topic. Uh, yeah, Very glad you chose this one. It's a kind of requirement in the U.S. to get education, but how one goes and gets that education and what they That's do what with they that education you, yeah. is a whole nother, you know, issue. Uh, the next topic is why we are so zoned out. And, you know, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper, but essentially, yeah. you know, why, you know, and we'll focus, I guess, specifically on America for now and, you right. know, millennials or even just, you know, even the older population, we see crime, we see violence, we see people in need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's, let's assume we all discuss it, we all talk about it. Yeah. But what's separating us from the action and really uh, either preventing these types of occurrences or... Uh, solving these problems once we learn about them. Right, right. How do you get people to take more action? Feel like that's something they want to do. Mm-hmm. And then we have a third wild card topic. Baiting controversy. Yeah, I guess I guess that's something like what we're trying to do here uh, with feminism. Uh, and just you know, I think it's important for us to understand where today feminism is going yep what is the responsibility of us as men to support that and then also where do you know how can you know we look at some of the current trends in terms of gender gap or differences within feminism and learn from those types of experiences how can the movement benefit to make it more robust make it more sustainable and make you know essentially you know uh, granting the types of benefits of feminism to all women, not right. just you know highly educated women or women who are actively involved in the workforce. Yeah, taking a finer scalpel and seeing what it's all about and how it might be room for improvement or you know room to change. Yeah, so on and so forth. All right, let's kick it off, man. Higher education. So, what college did you go to? Temple Tell University. The Tell the people. T for Temple U, as we say. And you studied? Studied a lot. But all the uh, time. Subject matter was? Multiple subjects. Uh, my main forte mm-hmm. was psychology. Mm-hmm. Within two years, I realized that that psychology degree wasn't going to allow me to professionally survive right. and feed myself. So at that time, I yeah. started looking at other education paths that I could help uh make more robust my educational experience. Yeah. So I picked up a minor in business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picked up a minor in French. Mm-hmm. I started studying healthcare. Yep. Uh, and 
I started working on my own business, building my own software applications, so teaching myself how to code. Right, right. And I found that my psychology experience taught me how to research, taught me how to look up mm-hmm. information, mm-hmm. not just any type of information, but you know, very kind of buried or maybe in some cases scientific, esoteric information that once I could find and identify, then I could synthesize into you know my papers or my business plans or my market right. research, etc. Or even with programming, you know, it's all about continuously Googling different ways or like, you know, you, you have a bug in your code. You have to quickly go to Google, right. figure out what the issue is, right. and then implement into your actual application. So, you know, a lot of the skills and experiences I learned in psychology, I was able to synthesize that in other areas. Right. So that's my little nutshell. Yeah, that's uh, your higher education experience. Yeah. How about yourself? I, w- I went to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Beautiful, beautiful city. Um, studied, like you, a variety of things. My degree says bachelor's in business, concentration in finance. Uh, took some coursework in philosophy as well. And, um, you know, I, I would say. I did learn a fair amount, but most of my experience, as I look back on it, was my most profound experiences were the parties, were the friends, were the the times that I was goofing off. Because uh, you know, I, I I don't I don't know if I took it as seriously as I could have, um, but that's neither here nor there, except for the fact that it might tie into what we're about to get to, which is. What's the point of all this stuff? What's the point of a higher education, a quote-unquote college experience, especially in today's climate? And when we brought up the, the concept of sustainability, do colleges offer people what they need? And are they charging enough, too much? You know, these are the questions I think more and more people are, are raising. Uh, Deuce, you showed me an article today about South Carolina and some colleges within that state debating whether or not their business models are sustainable. And I think the, the basis for that is the, the rapid cost for the tuition, the rapid cost, the cost increase. And the fact that a lot of students need to take on immense levels of debt to meet, to meet those obligations um, and immediately start to pay them back entering into a workforce that doesn't guarantee them much of anything. So, you know, framing that as it sort of is today, what, what, what do you make of the, the college experience in 2018 if you were to go back and say, you know, choose to, to enroll in something, you know, knowing what today's business environment, knowing where the job opportunities are, knowing how fast everything is changing, is it worth it? Oh, it's always worth it. I mean, you know, life isn't about living it and then looking back and saying that wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what makes us smart as humans is our ability to identify patterns mm-hmm. and our, our ability to make significance of things that just might exist and not be anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that said, I think there's an ability or an opportunity for everyone to 
for example, go through four years of college completely partying, BSing, and not giving a shit. But at some point, you know, they'll have to look at that four years and identify something in there that can be valuable to them moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, one of, I mean, I guess from a personal experience, uh, I was taking an environmental law class yeah. with, uh, like, my sophomore year, and the majority of students in that class were either studying legal studies or law, and, you know, I guess had much more of a specialized focus in their education, whereas right. I was kind right. of more, you know, psychology, much more of a liberal art general major. Uh, with that said, there was a student in that class who was from somewhere in Africa. We'll get the country at some point later. But, uh, you know, essentially he was a little older, but I guess maybe as an immigrant student, a little more mature in that he understood the value of the education that he was getting because mm-hmm. he knew, you know, the, the, the very much flip side of not getting that education. Sure. And uh, he was very entrepreneurial. Uh, he ended up building some type of interesting wind farms out in oh, wow. uh, Africa with uh, the help of uh, some of the professors at Temple. But one of the things he said to me was, you know, like, what do you want to do? And like, you know, what are you, what are you up to? And I was like, you know, I'm, I think at that time I was like just getting into my entrepreneurial stage. And I'm like, yeah, man, like I'm trying to build my own app and like, you know, do some it. cool tech business stuff. And he's like, yeah, that's cool, that's cool, but you need some skills. Right. He's like, you know, you might want to take accounting. And yeah, yeah. and I think at that point, that might have been one of like the first or first of few experiences where I realized that what I was going to be doing at school didn't necessarily have to be fun or didn't necessarily have to be something that sure. I wanted to do. Sure. Maybe what might be more important is for me to learn certain skills or experiences that would be suitable for me once I'd be on my own. Right. It's like almost like, you know, imagine that you're going to go live off in this far exotic island. Right. I'd have to take a class on how to build a little hovel or, you know, house type structure. Sure. I'd have to take some cooking out in the wilderness classes. I'd have to learn how to build a fire. And so essentially, I think kind of towards my sophomore year and later, I started looking at education more as a practical skill set of experiences and opportunities that were going to pay off later in time. Right. Uh, Not everyone makes that jump. Yeah. That's not necessarily everyone's learning style. Right. You had the entrepreneurial spirit. I had a very driven, self-motivated, like, I got to teach myself. I I don't know if it's because of Temple. Temple's a fairly large school, like 28,000 in the undergraduate. Mm -hmm. So... You know, it's not as kind of one-on-one time. You know, I went to private school, so I had right. I, I kind of had that experience of, like, small school. Everyone yeah. knows each other. Right. So Temple was kind of like a sharp you know, contrast. You, you got to get out there and do it yourself. So I, I did develop that mentality, and it has helped me to this point. Uh, but I really do understand that people have different learning experiences. Some people go to school to get, you know, great grades. Some people go to school to meet yeah. new people. Uh some people go to school just because that was what they were told to do. Uh, and I think there has to be a wide net of, you know, type of professors, uh, 
type of edu- like type of educational experiences, uh, you know, extracurriculars. I think all of that is should be contextualized or should be open. You know, I don't think it, there should be a limited pathway to how someone teaches themselves. Right. But it is helpful to understand, you know, like that one student who gave me his experience on like, oh yeah, develop some hard skills. If I hadn't heard that, then maybe I just would have, you know, cared about just doing my homework in my class and not really thought about, okay, what can I do going forward? No doubt, no doubt. Clearly, I think, you know, the benefit of groups of people in these communities is exactly what you said. You get inspiration from other people, you get advice, you get examples of what to do and not to do. Um, The question that burns in my mind on this topic is, the fastest growing sector in the economy by far is computer services, software services, software development, etc. And there are all sorts of coding boot camps, coding programs that are a fraction of a full four-year university that will give you the skill set that you largely need to go in and slot into one of these roles, one of these positions, at a fraction of the price. And uh, by the way, maybe the debt you took out to pay that is dischargeable in bankruptcy where student debt is not in a traditional sense and then I think to myself well that seems logical in a sense but then you're missing out on the experience of a college with a diversity of ideas different people who study different things getting into a a diverse group of ideas and opinions and being forced to step outside your comfort zone and other subject matters other areas that you maybe never want to revisit again but you at least get a taste that that's a strong value proposition if it were not for the the astronomical and ever-increasing price tag on the experience so what do you think are some ways that we could take this existing college product with its high price tag knowing that children are going to have to you know as they grow up work to pay it off and you know as i have i'm sure you have as well and how do we in the 21st century 2018 and beyond make it a unique value proposition knowing that jobs are moving into technology more and more jobs are becoming very entrepreneurial in nature i mean we're looking to start our podcast here and no one in school taught me how to do this or, or what You didn't take the did. podcast class? I wish I did, man. <laughs> I mean, it was the rage, but I, uh, I was skipping it. No, there was no, no mention of any, anything of the sort, and I, I find myself consistently caught off guard with the modern economy and how unidimensional it is with respect to technology, apps, and the like, none of which I studied. So I have a finance degree. There's some demand for that still, and I suspect there will be for a time until automation displaces most, if not all, of that work. And then what's left? Well, that's a bigger question. But until the automation comes and sweeps everybody under the rug, how do, how do we think about colleges in this equation where they're so expensive, they offer a great value proposition in terms of people's experience in their life, but is it going to make financial sense for them? And is that, is that worry going to deter them from having the experience altogether? I mean, so essentially we're talking about the cost 
Um, the, the, the cost side of the equation. That's that's the big issue because it, it, if it's it's sustainable, if you can run it for cheaper. Um, yeah. So I think you know what we'll look at for our next show is to get an expert or get someone more experienced right. on understanding the cost side. Sure. So you know what I'll do is I'll I'll assume the cost is the cost. Right. It, it costs money. Right. It costs thousands of dollars. Right. With that said, on the other end, what I would look at is now the benefit. Mm-hmm. To become right. a doctor, you have to almost invest five hundred thousand dollars in four to eight years of your life. Right. You do that knowing that you're going to become a doctor at the end of it, and you're going to demand a certain salary, and by that salary, you can pay that le- or pay that debt. Right. Same goes with becoming a lawyer. Uh, firefighter, no, I'm just kidding, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think business is a little more difficult. Uh, Traditional white collar well, stuff. Well, and then again, that's see, and that's not my business background, you know. So I was always kind of like this amorphous, non-fitting yeah. in character. Yeah. Because I'm some liberal arts psychology student, right? But I'm in the business school, which has all the fancy like marble floor and sure. all the international flags of all the different business yeah, students. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. And so, like, I'm like, all right, well, I pay tuition so I can take these classes, and I got the benefit from that, but I was never really part of that. So, I, you know, I, I could have never said. But within that, like, you know, if you go into, like, a risk management program or if you go into the finance program, right. I think business school has better tracks built. Same with, right. like, engineering. I think engineering is a good example. Like, if you can get your engineering degree, right. you know, I think – during the recession, there were some difficulties, but in general, those are in-demand skills, whether you're doing electrical, mechanical, or civil engineering, you know, there's a need for that. Uh, so yeah, th- th- that's, I think, if you can identify the benefit of what your cost is going to be, mm-hmm. it makes more sense. Yeah, Asking an 18-year-old to do that is damn near impossible. Right. How am I, I just got out of high school, and you know, that's its own, whole world of confusion of bubble and exposure right to now within three months prepare to go to college where for the first time you're going to see beautiful women beautiful men you know whatever you are and everything in between music drugs uh parties parties illicit behavior all sorts of things it's and to be a young kid trying to balance that and now think about four years later and you know what type of salary you expect to be making i think it's extremely it's impossible almost and only a few select people can do it and even those few select people who can plan and envision that far still can't manage their activities and all their courses so you know in all honesty it's and this is kind of something that we were working on earlier in my uh entrepreneurial career doing hackathons uh, is, you know, whatever happened to the college guidance counselor or the advisor whose job is to liaison with students and help them identify their skills, their assets, their experiences, their passions, Mm. and then connect them to the right courses or to the right career or the right uh, extracurriculars to then kind of just facilitate that. I think that's, I think it's a lot for a kid to do that on their own. And I think if you're going to be paying all these thousands of dollars to get uh, education in college, then it kind of needs to be a little more beyond just 
what you're going to do for homework and what you're going to take in class as a test, but there, there should be a, another part of the college process that's structured to help you survive outside of school. I think a lot of school programs have that, but I would say more school programs don't have that. Right. I'm fascinated by how quickly tuition seems to be rising year over year relative in this article we looked at to the consumer price index, the traditional measure of inflation. It, it seems like the costs are quite inflated and colleges may need to provide all these ancillary services to justify that their value is still, you know, worthy. And when you have, when you have students footing the bill coming out into the workforce in record numbers with record amounts of debt, it spells trouble to me. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of question marks around this. I think one of the potential avenues forward is, you know, to preserve these institutions, have the federal government do some sort of allocation to, say, public universities or universities in general who meet certain requirements, meet certain standards, meet certain eligibility criteria, who can apply for funding, essentially, to keep these public institutions, as, a, as it were, know still standing for the the students to you know get something out of yeah I mean it's a whole it's, it's a very interesting conversation when you start talking about funding and federal government you know the deficit is talking about what's growing including college tuition you look at health care costs but also our federal deficit is growing you know every year right. uh, and I think there's so much political backlash to expand government. Uh, so although that is potentially a great solution, I think from a real implementation uh, process, it's almost good to have a couple alternatives. Yeah. Um, I remember one of my first visits out in California, uh, and I visited my friend in uh Santa Clara, I was going to Santa Clara University at the time, mm -hmm. uh, we drove down Route 1 into uh, Pasadena and in that kind of South California area there's some amazing community colleges like Community College of Pasadena was down there and it's right next to Cal State or Caltech mm -hmm. and I'm like, holy shit, like it's first of all, California is beautiful but their community colleges are positioned around some well-known major university right. it's almost like an open door policy where you can kind of just walk in the campus you know not even know that you've changed sure and i'm like these guys have a great you know kind of system i think their community college is you know relatively free for college residents or maybe you know a few thousand uh but they're very much integrated into the other universities mm. uh and i think maybe there's something there you know maybe community colleges you know, we're trying, I mean, there's, there's state colleges, but even with like Temple University, although it's kind of known as a state college, it's actually private owned. So, mm -hmm. you know, how many really state colleges are fully funded right. by the state, I don't right. think are that high. Uh, so, which means then there, there is some room for the federal government to get involved. But, you know, on the other end, I think federal or I think community colleges can potentially play a significant role in providing low cost education uh, to people who might not be able to afford uh, you know the larger four-year four colleges 
and in that sense be able to work themselves up and so that by the time they you know usually these community colleges have a transfer yeah. uh, program right. where you do one or two years you get your A's or you know usually it's by GPA and maybe th- maybe that's not the best criteria but that's one of the criteria standard and you know I think I think that makes sense right uh, I'm not an expert on the quality of education within the community yeah. college system but I think in some locations like California mm-hmm. their standards are higher than maybe others where you right. know community college is kind of a joke or right, like right. you don't really want to go there per se seems to be highly variable I've, I mean I've heard some professors you know there's this guy uh, Jordan Peterson he's been in the news you know about professor from Toronto he's got a bunch of hot takes on you know gender pronouns and talks about a host of other issues you know he's a psychologist fundamentally but in any event his uh, one of his comments was he's putting a lot of his lectures online and they're getting supposedly hundreds of thousands of views you know I've seen a few and it seems to be just a flat out lecture put online you know that's that seems to be an effective way to disseminate your lecture beyond the classroom but I wonder if it'll one day just replace everybody you know replace all of the teachers in classrooms all of those salaried positions become no longer when the cost side of the equation does get out of hand and uh we start learning from the screen, you know, from a predetermined curriculum that everyone, some committee has poured over and had their say in and then it just gets fed to the kids en masse. And that is our, that is our education. I wonder if that's, that's where things are heading because you see that with a lot of other content media wise, you know, things are moving online. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely going to happen. I think it's going to be integral into spreading education I think it makes sense so that people can access uh, you know currently restricted education resources Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that's the answer I think teachers professors educators Mm -hmm. guidance counselors play a very significant role in forming uh, youth's maturity youth's growth Uh, you know once you get through college or once you really get introduced into the professional world you know you're not going to have that support so at some point I think it would be helpful for you know people to benefit I completely agree and and I think when you really look at the cost side of the equation most of the costs aren't coming from professors they're coming from the administrators they're coming from you know 500k salary athletic coaches right um so I think, you know, if you really want to talk about reducing the costs, you, we need yeah. to take a look at... I don't want to suggest that professors lose their <laughs> positions. Both my parents are professors. I mean, it's a, a remarkable position, and I think it gives so much value. And I like what you're saying, where you have a conversation with somebody, a human individual, who can tailor their information and their understanding to your needs and to your personality. That's invaluable. And then some information is just very difficult to learn on your own. Right. So, you know, the model that I would like to see is that, okay, let's say we're going to go all education-based. How can we create peer groups so that students can work with each other and help each other learn? Because that was very important. Even me just going to a lecture in class, I probably didn't learn anything. Right. It was really the study sessions after right. with students 
my peers that I was able to reinforce that learning and actually do well in that test. Right. There's, a, there's another interesting angle to this, which is given the more increasing entrepreneurial nature to the employment field where because it is a lot of tech-based platforms and apps and the like, and, and those can be easily conceived by a group of individuals on their own as a sort of new program, that's, that's more and more of where the innovation and the employment is going. You could have a you know, a program within the university to facilitate these entrepreneurial ventures before the kids get out of college so they're not necessarily out on their own, start trying to make it work from square one. They have a little bit of an incubation period. There are people who, you know, are professors or experts within the university that have insight and can advise and the like. And you start to make a more seamless transition from the, the classroom into the, the workforce, you know, if, if people are so entrepreneurially inclined. Well, I mean, I don't know if we explicitly talked about it, but I think skill sets and motivation and aptitude and quick thinking, critical reasoning, uh, these are skills that kind of when we're in elementary school, middle school, high school, we're taught these compartmentally or, you know, we're taught these from a standardized test perspective. Right, right. Uh, but these are such important skills that, you know, really make the make up the the required type of experience or type of skill set that you yeah. need in the workforce. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think what you're alluding to is that you know, the entrepreneurial pathway or the pathway of forcing you to have to c- come up with creative solutions to solve problems is a great way to instill and reinforce these valuable experiences that become even more valuable in the professional world. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think every school, every college, you know, really, in high school, there's always a senior project, right? There's always that month you get kicked out of school for a month, and you got to go out there and do community service. I painted on a canvas. <laughs> well, I mean, but hey, I mean, would you paint? Abstract Jackson Pollock, just splat splatter. <laughs> With uh, someone or two friends? Yeah, we oh, got, two friends. I think we got high and just did it, and that was it. And was it worthwhile? I had a hell of a time. I think we made a little video out of it. I mean, it was fun, you know. So you made the video. Someone had to film it. Correct? That's a good point. I can't recall how that happened. Did someone edit the video? Did you? It wasn't me. It wasn't you, per se. You were just, you were the Picasso of the group. But did you, once you edited the video, did you share it? Did you have to write a report on it? I think it's probably on YouTube. I think it's probably on YouTube. All right. We'll have to dig that back up. We'll link everyone to that. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, so that's... I mean, but you had to determine what you were going to do. You had to sit sure. in a room one day and say, well, you know, I could go work at this law firm. I could uh, do some community service. But you know what? I'm going to freaking paint. I'm going right. to paint me and some amazing pictures and photos. I'm not just going to paint any paint. I'm going to go get some acrylic paint because I like that kind of paint. Yeah. It looks real shiny. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get some nice canvas paper. And you got to go to an art shop. Yeah. So you, within that act of just painting random stuff there were some decisions that although maybe unconscious yeah. etc or just part of the process 
you know, you, you did gain experience. And I think experience doesn't have to be one way, this way, that way. I think right. experience uh, manifests itself. Yeah, it's action. Right. And just by doing, you're, you're, you're moving forward. Right, right. And if you had painted every day since that last time you painted, I'm sure you'd be an amazing painter. It's true. It's exposure, you know. It's exposure to something outside of the standardized curriculum, standardized tests that, you know, I think I would encourage more schools to do more of and as early as possible because school is not what the real world consists of, you know, so... The more uh, the more schools are preparing kids for the re- for the real world, the more people will be able to speak to the value proposition and encourage people to keep going through that, and so on and so forth. I mean, I'm a big believer in uh, bringing in a, a creative element in someone's education. You know, some sort of creative endeavor that helps people use that right side of the brain that gets so infrequently touched in today's modern world. But it's it's half of our neurological complex. And uh, you can draw on a lot of creative impulses to inform how you want to build a business or go about your day-to-day things that seem mundane. You can approach those in creative fashion. So any schools that are listening to this, you know, don't lose sight of the arts. Don't lose sight of the creative side of things because there's not a whole lot of... Uh, not a whole lot of joy when you remove the arts and, and beauty from society so well in all honesty I mean that's that's sense. all we're gonna have uh, with automation machine learning mm. AI complex processing complex math complex data sorting it's all gonna be done by the machine right and so the question becomes what is humanity's role in productivity and working right uh, this is the you Jack know, Ma Jack, concept. This is the Jack Ma concept, right? Yeah. Uh, of Alibaba, right. who you know are one of the front runners in AI. Right. Uh, with that said, you know he still sees these soft skills, these unique human uh, aspects, these unique cultures within humanity as very important to right. remaining human. Things that machines can never do. Right. Right. You know, learning how to play an instrument. Uh, talking about sports, uh, learning how to de-escalate, you know, conflicts with, you know, friends or your coworkers. You know, more on the emotional intelligence side. Uh, you know, even critical reasoning and these types of just taking problems and figuring out solutions. These are things that you can't necessarily just crunch like a number. Right. And so, humans do have a role here. But now the question is. Is our education system nurturing this type of no, thinking and this not, type of not sufficiently this type of action? I agree with you. It's, it needs to be more. It needs to be what sets us apart from the circuitry, from uh, the silicon, you yeah, know, hard drive. In all honesty, it's pretty much beat out of you by the time you're out of school. It's like you better know how to score high on your standardized SAT. Right, and there's a formula. You better know for how to get your A. There's a formula for that. You know, there's a formula for all these things. You know, it's very, <laughs> very rigid. So, universities don't lose sight of the arts. High schools, elementary schools, keep it alive because you know there's going to be little else to teach in the not too distant future. And and maybe we'll come back to this topic in the, in the next episode or in another.
episode, but should we keep moving? 